Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? The show where I will uncover the stories of domestic abuse survivors. I'm your host, Maya Hooper. Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? Um, We're on um, episode two, and I'm uh, here with my guest. If I'd love for you to just introduce yourself to everyone who's listening. Hey, um, yeah, my name is Sarah, and I'm 33 years old. And uh, my story, um, I met this person in um, the fall of 2017 uh, through a dating app. And we had our wedding, um, in January of 2020 and I physically fled our home in April of 2020. And, um, however, that really wasn't the end of the story. Like many of us. Wow. So, so you guys had met on a dating app and in the beginning, when you first started dating, um, what was that process like? How was his behavior? Yeah. Um, (laughs) that's, that's a great question. Um, I just want to like, kind of start my story just with a little disclaimer too, for myself, um, that like my intent and my heart of sharing with this and sharing my story isn't to speak ill of anyone. Um, and my intention is to really just share the truth of my experience. And, um, I think it's, you know, really important and and needed to try to destigmatize these issues. Um, because one barrier for me was that I didn't identify at any point with that girl on the poster, you know, like Mm -hmm. I, I didn't have bruises. I didn't have broken bones. I, I didn't know what I was experiencing and, um, that's why I'm sharing this. And so in the beginning, things were, were wonderful. You know, I think like most relationships, um, I believed he was the one really quickly. Um, I saw in him a lot of great attributes. Uh, we built a lot of trust very quickly, a lot of respect and commitment. Um, I thought of him as like being very uh, mysterious, <laughs> Um, was the way I interpreted um, a lot of looks in his eyes. I thought he was kind of quietly charismatic, um, very loyal, um, very committed, very um, clear communicator. Um, And one really key like characteristic that I appreciated in the beginning (laughs) was that I thought he was just, I observed that he was such a good listener And, um, later on, he would later use essentially like everything I ever told him as a weapon, um, against me, but he was a really good listener. Um, and I also think that in the beginning, 
we had a lot of like long heart to hearts about like ethics and morals and values. And in a lot of ways, I think he mirrored back to me my own values. And he was very careful to ask me a lot of questions before sharing what he thought. Mm-hmm. And um, looking back, you know, like that's one of my biggest takeaways is that I don't really think we had those same values because I think that my experience has taught me that abusive behavior is ultimately a values issue, Mm -hmm. um, which is like a whole other topic (laughs) that we could get into. But, um, but in the beginning it was great. You know, we had a lot of fun and love and, and laughter too. And that's what I think is really hard. You know, like it's not all bad, right? Like, and when people say, well, why didn't you leave at this point or end the relationship at that point? You know, I look back and I think, well, that's because for me, the good and the bad, you know, you weigh it out and like the bad hadn't outweighed the good, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in retrospect, I think that there are a lot of subtle signs in my situation and it really, you know, um, it hadn't reared its head while we were dating. Um, we dated for um, about a year and a half before we got engaged. And um, during that time, kind of the subtle things were like teasing. Um, he would tease me a lot and use jokes as like a way to say disrespectful things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, he would call me too sensitive a lot. Um, he really enjoyed getting a rise out of, out of me. Um, it sounds silly, you know, even like hiding behind walls and like scaring me, like he enjoyed getting a rise in any way he could. And that really just progressed later, but, um, it was very subtle. There was some weird things that would happen when we were dating, you know, like he would ask me really pointed questions, like. I felt like I was being interrogated. Um, It seemed like he knew things about me, about like my past. And he would ask me these questions about experiences and relationships and places I had been and things I had done in such a way that like my mind would kind of spin. Mm -hmm. And um, that was just kind of the, the more subtle things. And there were some like small boundary violations, you know, like, but it didn't really seem like um, a consistent pattern. You know, it was like one-offs and um, yeah. So things were were really, I felt like mostly good. Um, And there were a couple of incidents though, that really stick out to me, like while we were dating still that I didn't know what they were, but they hit me deeply that they were wrong. And so much so that, you know, I didn't tell anyone. I was like, I can't tell anyone this because on some level, I knew that like, if a girl, if a friend came to me and told me this, I would say, what are you doing, girl? You know, Um, but one was that he gave me an ultimatum where um, I had to choose between like going home to my home um, to get some physical space to clear my head about something or the relationship. Like I had to choose in that moment. And I remember his eyes, um, becoming really dark and 
he kind of turned the situation that had happened around on me. And um, instead of it being about kind of the issue at hand, that was something he had done that was concerning. It was actually turned around on me where I was begging him for forgiveness to keep the relationship. And um, that was a night where like, I felt like there was a line in the sand, you know, of like, I had to choose between what I needed for myself that he would not permit me to have, which was just going home to my own bed or the relationship. I just want to note here, like, do you know what this, uh, behavior is coined as? Mm, No. (laughs) (laughs) So the term, um, gaslighting. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yes, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. There was a lot of that in this relationship. And I think that's, that is where, um, a lot of people who experience like an unhealthy relationship, um, start to feel like they're going crazy and start to feel like they are, um, like overly sensitive or, you know, um, we would go in circles. Like we would, um, have a lot of those really circular conversations, like not fights, you know, but like I would go in circles with him trying to explain, you know, like why a boundary violation was wrong. Um, and there was never a lot of like resolution. It was kind of like, he maybe would apologize sometimes, but then the behavior would continue, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, it was kind of sparse enough though, that like, I could put it out of my mind. You know what I mean? Like I could push it down of like, okay, like it's, you know, like there's more good than bad still. And, um, there was another incident that really stuck out to me that, um, we were at a dance place, um, with a friend who really liked to dance and, um, him and I were there with her and my hands, like we were holding hands and our hands broke contact. And, you know, it's like a dance place with lots of people and he disappeared. And, um, I just stood there with my friend and he started sending me these like horrible messages, um, really degrading, um, uh, of why I was like this terrible person, you know, to be in this dance place and just vile messages. And I remember thinking I didn't do anything wrong here. Like our hands broke contact for whatever reason. And I'm standing here, you know, like I knew I had done nothing wrong. And it was one of those, again, um, situations where, um, I would communicate that to him and, he would come up with like justifications, you know, um, of like, well, like I've had past bad experiences and this triggered that and this and that, and ultimately, um, never really like resolve that issue. What I really took away from it was like, I can't go to dance places. (laughs) And so I kind of just kind of would try to mitigate, um, his reactions, you know, like he never resolved things really. So I would just kind of change and alter my behavior to prevent him from having these kind of reactions towards me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we got engaged <laughs> and, you know, like, I think a lot of us, I thought that commitment would make things better. Um, and at that point we also moved like across the country, um, very far away from our home state where we had both had a lot of supports 
And so, you know, we were very isolated and life became really hard. And like the day to day after we got engaged, um, he made it really clear that he hated the city we had moved to. Like every day he would tell me how much he hated it. And the reason we had moved there primarily was for my career. Um, I'm, I'm in healthcare and I just finished my graduate degree. And this was like this great residency thing. And um, he made it really clear, you know, that it was like my fault that we were there and how much he hated it. And I was really heavy, you know, to carry around. Um, and anything that I liked about this city, which I love that city. I lived there like multiple times in the past. I had a couple of good friends there. Um, and anything though that I liked about it, he would take it as something that meant something negative about me or make me untrustworthy. And that's where things like got really weird, honestly, um, where I would come home from work and I never knew what I was coming home to, you know, like it would be, um, a lot of times like confessionals, Mm -hmm. um, like twisted things he would confess to me that he had done in the past and um interrogations you know of like relentlessly asking me the same question um a lot of dark stories um he told me things that were really terrifying that he had done and um he told me to them in such a way though that it was like he was looking for comfort And so I would find myself really confused and Mm -hmm. trying to comfort him and like be there for him. Um, But also what it really did is it instilled in me like a deep fear knowing of like, okay, he's capable of doing these things, you know, and um, a lot more jealousy kind of really started to show up a lot of anger, like just his language really um, worsened. and it was like a mask was kind of falling, honestly, is what it, it felt like. Um, he would write like all the reasons why he couldn't trust me. Like I remember I came home and there was like a diagram and he was like, if this, then this, then that, then this. And ultimately it was like why I was untrustworthy to him. And so I spent a lot of time trying to reassure him. Um, I encouraged him to you know, go to therapy, um, (laughs) which he had like a million reasons why he could not go and would not go. I think that's really interesting. Um, just what you said about the confessions, because, um, I, I haven't heard somebody talk about confessions yet. Um, because that was primarily one of the forms of abuse that I experienced was, um, confessing really dark, twisted things. And it scared me. Um, and having to comfort him that he's not a monster. Yes. Yeah. That's sounds very similar to like what, like you encountered with him. And I can just, I can just like resonate in that because it's really, it's really like, uh, confusing when they're coming at it from this perspective of like, um, that they need comfort or almost like that they're apologetic or sorry, or, you know, they feel this almost like this, uh, I don't know. Uh, For me, I don't feel like it was conviction for him, but, um, almost a condemnation sort of, um, and some shame. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but as the dark confessions continued, um, it was very, very frightening for me. Um, yeah. and it caused, I think me to worry, I don't know what, how you, so I'm curious, I guess the question I'm leading up to is how was that experience for you? Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely was very anxious about it. Um, like I was saying, like, it really scared me. Um, and I didn't know how to feel about it. Like you said, it's really confusing because, um, I wanted to help him. I wanted to help support him. I saw that it seemed like he was carrying, you know, um, you know, this stuff right with him. And, and I, I felt bad for him in that way, but it also, it sent shockwaves through me Mm -hmm. and I didn't know what to do with it. I remember I started feeling, that's when I started feeling really, really alone. Um, because, you know, also I don't know about your experience, but I was sworn to secrecy, you know, like he swore me that I couldn't tell anyone, um, that, so then I was like carrying this around with me and, um, I just didn't know what to do with it, but it definitely made me more emotional. Like my coping skills <laughs> were rapidly, like rapidly decreasing, you know, like mm-hmm. I felt like I was a, a mess. I was very tearful. I was, um, you know, at that point, um, I had one friend <laughs> that has known me for 20 years plus and, um, we're very close and, at that point around this time period, when the confessional started, she called me out on me, on my behavior. And she was just like, Sarah, like you seem different. Like you seem really insecure. Um, you seem like you're, you're like apologizing all the time. Like what is going on? And I shared with her a little bit, you know, I gave her like little glimpses and, um, you know, that was kind of my one little support to get through it, but it definitely impacted me. Um, in that I really, I didn't know what he was capable of. Like I did, he was telling me (laughs) these things, but then, like you said, it was wondering like, okay, what else is there? It it showed me that there was much more underneath. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and ultimately it took me a really long time to realize this. Um, I don't know if you realize it, but probably, but, um, like what he was doing, um, partially was isolating you. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's like, uh, very common to like isolate, you know, uh, a partner. Mm -hmm. And, um, so he's, um, sworn you to secrecy, um, and burdened you with a lot of these worries. And, um, ultimately, uh, what it does over time is that I think it almost like you feel like you're deteriorating because you, uh, don't have that, you know, ability to confide in other people, but are carrying the burdens of like someone else's very sick or very troublesome, you know, stories. Um, and, uh, I can just relate like what you just, you know, the way that you explained that, that was me. Like I, yeah lost all my friends. I didn't talk to really anybody about anything. Either I put on this facade, like everything was fine, but it got to a point where like, you can't even do that anymore because (laughs) it's like too noticeable that you're not okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I was, I was able to kind of, you know, put the facade on for most people, you know what I mean? Like I was able to do it, but I, I did thank God. I had this one friend that, um, would keep tabs on me, you know, like even if I was pulling away, she was, she was always there. And, um, he was like, you just said that isolation thing. Like I was really lucky. I think in a lot of ways that, um, I had people that did try to keep tabs on me and that I tried desperately to stay connected to, but, um, it was happening, you know, like in a really covert ways, you know, like he would tell me that specifically a couple people that were my closest friends, you know, he would tell me that they didn't like him. He had picked up on something. They looked at him funny, you know, um, based on like, non-verbals he would say that they didn't like you know like Mm. these subtle things or if I spent time without him with one of my like two local friends at that point it would become a thing you know there I would be in some kind of trouble you know he would not talk to me or he would get upset with me if I did things without him you know so the isolation was definitely starting to get worse um at that point Mm. And so at this point we were still engaged and, um, we're more weird things, honestly, kept happening. Um, there was like this incident where, um, I had an iPad, you know, and honestly, my whole experience has given me an aversion to technology because he used technology, um, in a really abusive way, but my iPad was missing, you know, I couldn't find it. And for about a month. And I kept asking if he had seen it, you know, like I looked everywhere in our house, um, in the car, everywhere. And I started to realize that he must have it. You know what I mean? Like I had that gut feeling. I was like, he took it, you know, he's hiding it and he's using it for something because he kept, um, he was like all knowing, you know, like he knew everything about me. Like he knew everything, um, of where I was like songs I had listened to on YouTube. He would ask me, how, why did you listen to this song? You know, um, a lot of mental just games like that. And one day there is the iPad under the bed after about a month. And I looked under the bed, you know, <laughs> like, and I just remember thinking, okay, like that's where this is. Um, but I, I didn't know what to do with that. You know, um, I just said, okay, I just put it on the bed. And then I was in trouble because I hadn't told him that I found the iPad, you know? Um, I know that sounds silly, but no, that was just an example. And, um, so then there was one incident that happened where, um, it became more obvious to me, like how by like flagrantly he was violating my boundaries and, that was, um, I kept an electronic journal, (laughs) um, like over the years, I've always kept like a word doc, you know, like reflections. Mm -hmm. And, um, one time I had been doing that. And then, um, he had been like relentlessly asking me the same question. And it was some wording from my journal, you know, like I recognize some of these words and Mm -hmm. I thought I couldn't fathom, you know, that, he would be doing what he was, but I, I, the next day, um, checked my email, like my sent box, you know, and there it was that he had like sent himself my electronic journal. And so I confronted him on it and I was just like, Hey, like, I know what you did. Like, I'm really 
I feel really heartbroken by this and it's not okay. You know, like this isn't okay. And that was a a marking point because at that point, (laughs) you know, he denied it completely, which later on realized that was his kind of go-to for everything was just deny, deny, deny. And he denied it. I presented evidence and then he would, um, he escalated to, um, saying he was going to kill himself essentially like being suicidal, um, because I was confronting him about it. And then that stopped the suicidal, like, um, gesturing and, and talk. And then it turned into, it was my fault that, I had left my computer out, like he needed to watch Netflix and my computer was out and he had to do it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so after that incident, I I knew that was really wrong. Like that one really shook me and we spent days, okay. Days in our apartment following that, not fighting, but literally sitting there just going in circles and Mm -hmm. talking about this incident. And I was trying to explain to him why it was wrong, what a journal is, like why a journal is, um, you know, it's like your thoughts that you're still processing and it's not fair to be like judged on them or to be interrogated based off of them. Like that's just not right. Like people are entitled to have their own thoughts Mm -hmm. and journals. And so we went in circles for about a weekend and it got to the point where I think I said something about postponing our wedding, which was coming up in a few weeks because he didn't, he didn't get it. He never took accountability or responsibility there. It was just, it felt futile, this conversation. Um, but once I said that, then all of a sudden this letter, he writes me a letter of how he's going to do the work, you know, like he realized, um, that he was wrong. And then honestly, this letter, (laughs) He wrote to me was like all of the words that I had said to him all weekend, you know, and he just put it into paper and he said that he saw that he had been treating me badly for a long time and that he needed to work on himself and he had these trust issues he needed to work on. And, you know, and so I said, okay, he is saying he's sorry now. He's telling me he wants to change. He's asking me to stand by him for that process. Right. And so I said, yeah, okay. You know, like that's, that's what you, yes, let's do that. You know? Um, and so we got married and, um, a few weeks later and what's just kind of a few things that stick out to me about the wedding. Um, I was crying the day before my wedding in the venue in this garden. And I just like, I couldn't articulate why I was crying. I just burst out and my, my mom, my sister, and my best friends were there with me. Um, he wasn't there at that time. And they just were like, what's going on? You know, like, are you stressed out about like the wedding details? You know, like we're here for you. We're helping you throw this beautiful wedding, you know? Right. And I couldn't explain to them why, you know? Um, and then someone did say something to me the night before the wedding you know, that I didn't have to do it, that, um, they would, you know, drive the getaway car, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that person only knew little bits and pieces, you know, um, Mm -hmm. of what was going on behind closed doors, but they saw enough concern in me to say that to me. Right. 
And I remember looking at that person and I just said, it, it doesn't matter because um, we actually are legally, we got married already. Like we did our marriage license um, a couple months prior. Mm-hmm. And the reason we did that, honestly, it was prompted because I was trying to reassure him that I would be faithful to him and that I was trustworthy. You know, like I thought doing our marriage license earlier would help that with him. Right. And so I was just like, honestly, like tomorrow's a party, you know, like it doesn't matter. And I said to her, I said, you know, um, I'm choosing to believe in him. I'm choosing to believe that like, yes, he's not perfect. He's inhuman, but he wants to work on his issues. And I, I'm choosing to believe that, that, that he's going to do that. And, um, and believing in the good in him. And she said to me, okay, I will be here for you. Any, anything, every step of the way, you know, through anything. And mm-hmm. I'm very thankful that, that was her response, you know, um, because later she was a key person in helping me get out. I think really quick, I'm going to stop you there. Um, and I think like for people who are listening, um, that was the question that comes up often is, um, those who are listening out of curiosity and supporting, um, people who have gone through, um, abusive relationships, um, don't know how to be a friend or a family member, um, who can be helpful and resourceful for somebody in, uh, abusive relationship. Um, I know there's people listening who have daughters who have gone through it or they've been through it or have friends who are in it now. Um, and what you just said is like, that's what, um, is like the best advice for someone who knows someone in an abusive relationship is that, um, the very hard truth is that, um, there's nothing that you can say to get somebody to leave an abusive relationship. Um, the only thing that is going to make them believe that they are being abused and choose to leave that relationship is a decision that they have to make. And it's unfortunately takes often, you know, traumatic experiences for someone to come to terms or come at the end of themselves to realize that this is not a healthy relationship and being a friend who is like, all right, like I am here. If you need me, I like they, you don't have to support the decision for them to be with that person, right. but you support yeah. that human. And in the end, she didn't, she was somebody who you ended up, ended up being a key person in your, um, you're being able to leave. And so it's really just waiting on standby for that person to finally come to terms with the fact that they don't want to be in an abusive relationship anymore. Exactly. And, and throwing, being willing to throw them a lifeline when they're ready, you know, um, being on standby for that. And, you know, and I think that's, it's the antidote, like community and like community is the antidote of isolation, right? Like, I think that, you know, you know, this, all of this thrives in darkness. And, um, I think that's something that we all can do with this stuff is to be aware of like, what is going on around us and to be there for people. And, um, like you said, even if they're not ready, just like not judging them for that either. And, and no, like creating a space that they know, um, that you're there for them, because if you have nowhere to run, it's a lot harder. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it, it makes you more likely 
to just stay, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, another thing um, at that wedding, the wedding day um, that really sticks out to me is that that morning he um, called me and was um, kind of like berating me of like, why my friends that were helping with the wedding, like they weren't there on time or they weren't meeting his expectations and I'm calling them vile words. And I'm trying to like hold my phone so that people don't hear him saying these things, you know, and they're going, Oh, he's calling you on your wedding day. And I'm like, you don't know what he's saying on the other side of the phone right now, you know? Mm -hmm. And that was, that was a moment too, where I knew kind of something was wrong, you know, of like, Mm -hmm. okay, this is our wedding day. Like, I probably should be really happy and he should be happy. And, you know, like, I don't think this is right. You know, Mm -hmm. um, it felt wrong, but I pushed it down and I focused on the good and it was a beautiful day and we got married and we had, um, a good period, you know, like the immediate, honestly, um, honeymoon and like the next month were okay. Things were, things were okay at home, um, relatively. And, um, then COVID. <laughs> it was 2020 and February um, hit. And honestly, COVID, I do, I can't blame everything on it, you know, but it really, in my situation, it did exacerbate things. And I think it, it helped. It, it's a blessing and a curse because it prompted things to be ripped open, I think, a lot sooner um, because we are more isolated, right? right. And, um, for me, looking back, like, I honestly still have a lot of, like, a little bit of anger and resentment at, like, the way COVID was handled um, in terms of, like, shutting people in because there was nowhere to go, you know? Like, I lived in a place that was very much shut in, mm-hmm. and um, the only place that I could go was the grocery store, and I walked those aisles up and down, you know? Um yeah. And he started working from home. Um, I was still going into the clinic and COVID was extra stressful because I was in healthcare and a lot of situations related to that. And, um, you know, with COVID, um, I became really like ill during that period as well. Like physically, I was starting to get really worn down. Honestly, I didn't have COVID. I didn't have like a diagnosed infection, but I was like, I felt horrible. I was sick. And, um, he would like take pictures of me and recordings that were like unflattering and send them to family members. My mom, I remember reached out to me and was, was kind of concerned. It was like, you don't look well, you Mm -hmm. look unhappy, you know, (laughs) like, are you okay? And, and I was, yeah, you know, I'm just under the weather, you know? Um, but I was kind of physically starting to really feel the impact, I think, of things. And um, I think, sorry, I think also this, I don't know like what like specifically your symptoms were, but um, I felt like this and I know others who have um, shared their stories where um, like for me, it was like body, like my, I had a lot of muscle um, pain, but also like um, extreme fatigue and um just like feeling like I would be, I was bedridden sometimes because I was like, so um, tired. And like, I saw so many doctors in Europe, um, who tried to treat this. Um, I experienced it for over a year 
And um, they were trying to figure out if I had like an autoimmune issue. And then once I left, um, it actually went away. Um, <laughs> it was depression. I was depressed. Um, yeah. I didn't know. Uh, but so, yeah. So I just was uh, with what you're saying. I'm just curious, like what your symptoms were. Yeah, I was definitely the fatigue, the, the aches, like everything would hurt. Um, I, I was also, um, you know, like I just, I think my immune system really took a hit. I was just, um, feeling like I was catching a cold, like constantly, um, and just like a deep, deep exhaustion in my bones. Yeah. Is how I would describe the, the physical symptoms at that point. And mind you, like, honestly, if you've listened to my story, everything is mental, right? Like this is all mental abuse. This is not physical. Right. And, um, so this is before to me, like things got really bad (laughs) and I was already feeling that impact. Um, and then for, from there, um, so that was like February of 2020. And then, um, you know, it was like surviving just kind of day to day. And then, April was when things got really bad. And and I know one of your questions on this is like, when, like, when did I know something was wrong? Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I would say at this point, that's, (laughs) that was the last week um, that we were together in April before I got out. That's when things really deteriorated. And it started with, um, it sounds so silly to a lot of people, but it started with a Facebook thing where um, my ex-partner, he made a derogatory comment on Facebook about this article about COVID and people in my profession. And um, I remember he like proudly told me, he's like, oh, look at this. I put this online. And I was just kind of horrified, honestly. I was like, why would you say that about people in that profession when I'm, I am that? Like that's disrespectful. And, um, he was just, he, he couldn't understand like why that would bother me. And, you know, we went in circles about that and we were outside and we were playing basketball. And I remember he took the basketball and he just, Oh, I said, I needed physical space. I said, that was a, a key, um, pattern is if I said I needed space, he would like, do something where I cannot have that, you know? And Mm -hmm. so I said, I needed some space. I'm just going to go for a little walk. I started walking away and he took this basketball and he just threw it towards me and towards the street. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Whoa, like, what are you doing? You know? And so I go chasing this basketball trying to, I didn't want to hit a car, you know, Mm -hmm. and someone to get hurt. And Um, thankfully it was a quiet street, but like that really shook me. I'm like, what is this? You know? And then from there, like the verbal abuse really intensified. Um, there was no more like veiled anything. It was just straight out. Like every derogatory word he could call me repeatedly, um, every vile word, you know? Um, and then just trying to attack me from like, different angles of how he could harm my career, my friends, um, a lot of just insults. Um, and at this point I was working a really heavy job, um, with a lot of responsibility. I was on call 
and I would be getting patient calls throughout the night, okay, during COVID. And so my phone is ringing all night. I'm trying to give patients advice of what to do. I'm giving people test results. Some of it was like life-changing things. And he would be standing in the kitchen um, waiting for me to get off the phone. And then he would be berating me and pounding the counter. And just, it was relentless, you know? He didn't care what I was doing. It didn't matter to him. And um, what really kind of ripped the lid off more was that this public Facebook comment he made, um, one of my two local friends in that city responded to it and said something to stand up for me, you know, and was like, hey, like, how could you say that? Your wife is in that profession, you know? Right. And however, he used um, also like derogatory words towards my ex. And because of that, my ex basically really escalated and he started giving me ultimatums of like what he wanted me to do. He wanted me to like fight my friend on Facebook about this issue and stand up for him and be on his side. And I couldn't do it. You know, I was just like, wait, I don't want to have an internet war. I want no part of this whole thing. And I'm also hurt by what you said. Like, there's no way, like, I can't do that, you know? And I would beg my friend to just please delete the comment, you know, like, let's, let's just end this, you know, but that wasn't enough. You know, my friend deleted it, but it was not enough. And so he started giving me like literal deadlines, like by midnight, you need to do this. You need to tell your friend this, you need to cut ties with him. You need to stand up for me. I'm your husband, you know? Mm -hmm. And it got so bad where he was telling me things he could do to my friend that he would blackmail him, destroy his life, destroy the lives of people close to my friend. Mm. Um, it got really, really scary and dark. And a lot of the stuff that he would do with me was like, he would tell me he had access to information online for like anyone. And he was very tech savvy and he worked and he told me he had worked in technology a lot. And so I believed him a hundred percent. I had every reason to, mm-hmm. and, um, he would use that in a really dark ways. Um, and so it just, this was like a Tuesday, honestly, that that incident happened with my friend and it continued for days. Like, Oh gosh, you know, it would just keep going and going. If I was at work, he would be sending me messages of like horrible things that he could do to my friend. Um, and so it was a rough few days, you know, um, verbally though, it was all like all this really verbal abuse and, um, scary, like blackmail stuff. And so I honestly, Maya, like, I didn't know what the heck to do. I, I didn't know what to do with this? Like, what is this? You know, I never experienced anything like this. And, um, I hadn't told anyone, you know, like, because how do you tell somebody that this, right. You know, and, um, I had no intentions quite honestly, I had no intentions of telling anyone I was extremely ashamed Mm -hmm. and embarrassed and confused. And so my, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say like, you said something in the beginning that I obviously 
you know, stand, stand by as well as like that. This podcast isn't a place to, um, like bash anybody, but it's really just, uh, a platform where, um, people can come forward and share their experiences, um, because you didn't know what you were dealing with. Yeah. And, um, you know, you didn't identify with the woman on the poster with a black eye. Um, mm-hmm. that's powerful because, uh, so many of us, um, have never been given a black eye, um, but have experienced, I mean, what you have experienced, and I know you're still sharing your story, but what you've experienced that I've listened to is traumatic. We're, we're listening to this story from the outside looking in, but, um, this is, this is, um, years worth of daily, um, Mm -hmm. you know, abuse, whether there's a small, you know, week or two weeks of, of, um, good behavior, right. The bad behavior was always right around the corner and to live in fight or flight like that for a period of time is extremely taxing on somebody's mental health. Yes, exactly. And, you know, it's like the periods of the good would get shorter, you know, like (laughs) shorter and shorter for me. It was like in the beginning they were big and then they just shrunk and shrunk. And, um, in a lot of ways, I, I knew physically that like that was happening. You know, I'm in the medical field, right? Like I know what fight or flight is. I know this. And so I felt those things. And there were even times early in the relationship that I articulated that to him of like, Hey, like, I feel like I'm living in fight or flight. I feel like my cortisol levels are going up. Mm-hmm. I, I know that's bad for my body. And I would try to like explain that to him and ask him, you know, maybe not to do this or that. And so on some levels I had language for that but I definitely didn't have language or understanding of psychological abuse and, um, and of like what this was, like you just said, I, I had no idea. Mm. Um, and so that is why I think it's powerful for us to talk about this stuff. And, um, yeah, so, (laughs) um, I had no intentions, like I said, of telling anyone at this point, I had no plan. (laughs) I had, no idea what I was doing. Um, I was just surviving. And I do feel like in my situation, God was my rescuer and my way out. And he provided to me a way out. I I firmly believe that because what happened next was that, um, so that was like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of this verbal and, and mental severe abuse. And then that Thursday, um, I had a day of work where like, they told me I could work from home. (laughs) Great. Right. You know? And so I was dreading that he's working from home. Now I have to work from home today, but just doing like continuing education, like CEUs. And so, um, it was a one day that it was sunny out. I lived in the Pacific Northwest. And so it was rainy all the time and it was sunny today. And so I said, okay, there's nothing open. I can't go anywhere except the grocery store. Right. But I'm going to take my computer and I'm going to go to that coffee hut. You know, those little tiny coffee huts, like that you just drive by and, (laughs) you know, I was like, I'm going to go to one of those because they'll have some Wi-Fi maybe. And I'll just sit outside and and I'll do my work stuff. And, and that's what I'm going to do today, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I told him that he kind of like begrudgingly let me go. And, um, he would send me messages of like, why are you outside? Why are you doing this? You know? And I was just like, I need some air. I need some coffee. And I sat on the pavement 
of the sidewalk of this coffee hut. I would rather do that than be in my home with him. And I sat there and I, you know, I did my work, but I, I really took that time to honestly um, think. And I started to journal. I don't know why on earth I thought it was safe to journal on my computer at this point, but I did because I did not understand the depths of his behavior. But I started journaling and I started just like reflecting on this week. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like this happened. That, what is going on? You know? Mm-hmm. And um, just kind of like trying to clear my head and get grounded because it kind of, I, I, I'm sure you understand this, but it feels like you're floating for me. It felt like, um, and I didn't, I didn't have, you know, like a strong grounding at that point I was, I was floating. And so I needed to get grounded and understand what was going on. And so, um, I sat there and my kind of saving grace was that I, I had this Skype date scheduled with, um, my close friends, friend that's known me for 20 years plus, you know, and I realized I could not talk to her. My friend called me before I could cancel it. Mm -hmm. And she saw my face and she just said to me, okay, I know something's really wrong. What's going on? And, you know, at that point I'm, I'm crying and I, I started to share with her just like little snippets of that week of what was going on with him. And, um, I should also note that this friend (laughs) has her profession is working with mental health and domestic violence. And she looked at me and was just very matter of fact and was like, okay, um, Sarah, like you don't need to make any decisions right now, but, um, I'm worried about you and I'm concerned that he's escalating. And I think it would be really good for you. Like just to get some physical space right now, like you'd probably just shouldn't be like in the home with him right now. Like you need to get some space. What could you do? Where could you go? You know? Right. And um, she started kind of brainstorming with me. Okay. I have this one friend that I could, I could go to her house. Maybe I could, I could do that, you know? Um, and she started just kind of telling me like some safety planning things, really looking back. That's what she was doing. <laughs> now I know that, you know, yeah. of like, how could you like, how could you kind of always make sure you have a way to get out if you need to and where your keys are, where is your phone? You know, those kind of things. Um, really practical tips she started giving me. And again, I didn't understand what was going on at that point, but she gave me those, those insights. And she just said, what if you just take the night? Like, just, I'm not saying you need to leave him. I'm just saying, take the night to like cool off. And, um, I was like, you know what? That makes sense. Okay. Like she, she has a good idea. (laughs) And so I, um, tried to do that. And, um, I eventually went back home and he was home, you know, and I couldn't just like leave and not go home because I had work the next day. I needed to get my work computer and my clothes, you know, and I, I really still didn't understand at that point, kind of the danger that I was in. Um, and so I went home and I, in my mind thought that I was, I could do this plan, you know, like I could surely go spend the night at my friend's house, you know, right. Why? 
And so I remember driving my car into the carport and before I could even park, he had been hiding where I couldn't see him. And he jumped into the car in the seat next to me. He was there immediately. Mm -hmm. And I was completely shocked and um, freaked out, you know, that that happened. And I just said to him, Hey, like, why am I? Well, you know, can you give me a minute to like get my stuff and like regroup before I go inside? And he was just, um, adamantly didn't want to get out of the car. And then finally he got out of the car and just stood behind the car. So I, you know, I knew he was there and I then got my stuff and I went inside and I kind of, I said to him, you know, look, like, it's been a really rough few days, you know, (laughs) um, maybe we just need some physical space. And I kind of try to present this plan of like, why don't I just go to like one of my best friends, you know, house, you know, that's in town. And I could do that tonight. And like, we just cool off and like get some space, like (laughs) sounds logical. And, um, that didn't work. You know, we then went in hours of not fighting, but like talking and talking where, um, I'm trying to explain to him why I want to do that. And he's telling me how I was destroying our marriage. And if I left, he would leave me. And, you know, um, he just really came in of like, why this was so wrong that I couldn't do this. I could not leave. Mm-hmm. And I got tired, Maya. Like, I just, I was so tired and I just gave in finally. I was like, okay, yeah, you know what? I won't leave. It's already 10 o'clock at night now, you know? Right. Um, and so he said, I'll, I'll go sleep in the guest room. Like, I'll give you some space. And so I thought I had a solution, you know? And so um, I went to sleep. I tried to go to sleep. And that didn't last long. Um, within a very short period of time, he was coming into the bedroom saying, this is my house. Like, this is my room. I'm going to sleep in it. And um, that night... Um, is when everything changed and was really a traumatic night. Um, It started with a lot of sleep deprivation. Um, He would, he woke me up like standing over me um, with the lights on and um, just started coming in on me and saying horrible things, you know? And um, I would just beg him to go to sleep all night long. I would beg him, please just let me sleep for a few hours. You know, um, I have work in the morning. I have patience, please let me sleep. And he would turn all the lights on. I would turn the lights off. He would turn them on. Um, we had these like speakers, you know, like Bluetooth speakers and he would keep turning on, um, things so that I couldn't sleep. Um, and he would turn on things that he knew would bother me. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Mark Driscoll. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I really didn't care for Mark Driscoll. Okay. I felt like he was really, he said a lot of demeaning things towards women Mm -hmm. and he knew that. And so he would play Mark Driscoll messages, um, that I would have to listen to over the Bluetooth. Yes. On his phone, he would control it. And so then I would go on and try to, you know, I would press stop. He would press start. (laughs) Like we would in circles with that. It's like bizarre behavior. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, And so that started. And then 
um, you know, just the verbal abuse, he, it really just darkened, you know, to telling me he hated me, how much he hated me, um, you know, how dirty I was, how weak and worthless I was to him. Um, he would, um, come over to me and he would say, you know, cuddle me. And he would actually like just wrap his body around me and like so tight where I just couldn't move, you know, like he would just lock me in legs and arms and I was just frozen. And he would tell me, you're so lucky that anyone wants to cuddle you. You're so dirty. And, um, I just kept begging him to go to sleep and he would just escalate and escalate. And, um, it was, it was a long night, you know, um, he started with like, um, he would get dressed at one point, um, and told me he was going to take my car. He was going to drink and take my car. Um, at this point I was sending desperately trying to send text messages like to my one friend, you know, <laughs> that told me to leave. Yeah. And I tried to send messages to her and also to his, his mother, I was really close friends with, um, mm-hmm. and I was asking her for help. She was trying to send me message of support. Um, but like I would be trying to send a message and he would rip the covers off of me. He started at that point trying to take my phone. Um, cause I would say, I'm going <laughs> to, this sounds ridiculous now, but I'm going to call your mom. You know, yeah. um, I said yeah. that really yeah. escalated. It's not ridiculous at all though. Were his parents or his mom, was she supportive? Like, did she realize that he had an issue or was it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Very supportive. So she befriended me in the beginning immediately when we started dating. Um, She was very motherly to me. We were very close. Um, And she would give me like little pieces of advice throughout our relationship of like, just ignore just ignore his, you know, he likes to stir the pot, just ignore that, you know? Um, and then when things got really bad that week, I actually, I did end up reaching out to her that night just before things got bad. And I called her crying and told her how, you know, bad things were going. And she stopped me halfway and she said, stop. I I already know. I already know what's going on. I understand what's going on. I know where he learned this. I, um, I will try to talk to him and help. And so, um, she tried to kind of deescalate him and it made things worse. Um, Mm -hmm. honestly. Yeah. And, um, there's a lot more (laughs) to the story because she knew a lot more that she had never told. Um, and a lot of stuff came out after in that regard, after I got out. Yeah. I was just, I was just curious because I think, um, as, uh, family members and the roles that they play <laughs> yeah, is in it, it's a whole topic in itself. Um, it is, you know, in that situation, um, he was really close with his mom. And so she was trying to be supportive. And I think it's really hard in these situations too, because I think that sometimes when people try to be supportive, they can also enable, you know, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. Um, so I said, I would call his mom. I think that's where we got on that, but, um, that really escalated him. And, um, that's when he started to, um, 
physically become more aggressive. And that's also was like a red flag to me finally of like, wait a second, physical violence, bad, you know, like, um, he punched the door. I remember that. And that really scared me. And he said, you know, what, that's not even a punch. You call that a punch, you know? And I also had a flashback in that moment to his apartment prior to us moving. I had helped him pack and I had saw a hole in the closet wall, like in the drywall. And I remember it bothered me. I'm like, where did that hole come from? You know, it looked like someone had punched a, a wall and, um, he said it was there before, you know, like, but in mm-hmm. that moment, when I saw him punching the door, I was like, oh my God, like, this is not new, you know? And when I saw him punching the door, I knew that's, that's physical. I've seen this like in a lifetime movie, like that's bad, punching bad. And, mm-hmm. you know, the whole like thing of like, do you call 911 is really hard. Um, that was a moment where I said to him, I'm going to call 911. And I meant it. And I had my phone and I was trying to unlock it. And he started to um, jump on top of me at that point. And then he would hold me down and take my phone. And I remember him holding me down so hard and my wrist really hurt. And I was screaming. I was screaming and I was praying that the neighbors would hear me. And I thought maybe they would call for help. And no one did. Um, But I cried out to God. I kept praying out to God, God help me, God help me. And I meant it, you know, like I prayed throughout that whole night out loud, God help me. And he would look at me and tell me, God doesn't hear you. You're Mm -hmm. all alone. And, um, the moment when my wrist was hurting was also a really significant turning point for me because I looked at him dead in the eyes and, I was like, this is it. This will make him snap out of it, right? Like he would never hurt me. This is the person who promised to protect me and cherish me and love me. And like, I used to feel the safest with him. Honestly, I did. And I said to him, you hurt me. Do you, my, my wrist hurts. Like, you know, like, did you see what you just did? And he looked at me blank, black eyes. And he just said, I didn't do anything what are you talking about? And Mm -hmm. I knew then that I was really in over my head because he had no boundaries, you know, and, um, he didn't care. He did not care that he had caused me physical pain. And so that really shook me. Yeah. Um, And I, I was in shock and, um, you know, then he said something to me that also really stuck out was that, oh, he asked me why I was screaming. Why was I screaming? It's not like I'm raping you. It sounds like I'm raping you, but there's no such thing as marital rape. Mm. And that really shook me. Um, and then <laughs> Maya, like things just got worse. It got worse and worse. I kept begging him to stop and to go to sleep. And Instead, that's when the knives started Mm. and he started with like a pocket knife. He always had a pocket knife and he pulled out his pocket knife and he would just hold it over me, like, just like hold it in front of me, you know, while he was saying really horrible things to me. And he was also at this point, um, threatening, like 
every angle of my life, like my work, my friends, my family, um, intimate images. He would send me pictures and say, what about this one? How about I post this one online? How about I email this one? How about this? Mm-hmm. How about um, just every angle I could honestly think of, <laughs> you know, like he yeah. was going to tell me how he could destroy my life. And um, the knives just got bigger. Um, you know, those kitchen knife sets that are really expensive. Yeah. yeah. Um, we had gotten one for our wedding, you know, as a wedding present. And he started with those and he would escalate to bigger and bigger. Yeah. And he would do horrible things with these knives to himself mm. while he was telling me that he was going to kill himself in various ways and it would be all my fault. And the whole world would know that it was my fault. And um, this went on for hours um, with the knives. And I went into this like strange clinical mode eventually (laughs) of like, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I can't make him stop, right? Like he won't stop. I've been begging him to stop. I can't call 911 because when I tried that, he grabbed my phone, he jumped and hopped, you know, like, I kept trying of what can I do? And I kept begging him to stop. And I just started watching and I thought, okay, it's superficial. Okay. I'm watching how he's doing it. I'm watching where he's doing it. Okay. I can hold pressure there. Okay. It's going to be okay. I can handle this. Mm -hmm. And it's not the carotid, you know? Okay. He's close. Like it just kept getting worse and worse. And Eventually, he took the biggest knife that we owned and he would point it inward to his left chest where his heart is, you know, and he would chase me around the house um, and telling me and like demanding to me to hug him so that the pressure of this knife would like plunge into him and I would be responsible for his death. Mm. So. Um, he would then, I would just kind of like, I would dodge him, you know, like he would come at me and I would move and I would beg him to stop. And then he would go to the wall and he would gently like push it in, um, just a little bit, just the skin, skin surface. Um, and I would beg him to stop. And eventually we ended up back in the bedroom where all of the really horrible things kept happening. And he was like lunging at me with this knife pointed inward to himself to the point where I was um, on the bed and I would be sliding my body off of the bed so that he could not jump on top of me and, and complete the act. And I, I just kept sliding my body off the bed so that he couldn't plunge it in by putting his body on top of me. And that went on like multiple times. And finally, I mean, this was hours. It was probably five, 6 a.m. by now. And I um, I got to a point where I realized there was no one coming to help me. <laughs> I am all alone. I have to handle this myself. Mm-hmm. And I had sent, I remember a message to my one friend saying, how do I deescalate 
someone with knives. Mm. And she wrote me back saying, Sarah, you can't, you need to call 911. And I started crying because I knew I couldn't. She doesn't understand. I can't call 911. I've already tried that. Like, I can't do that. And I eventually, I made a decision that I had to just grab the knife from him. And so mm-hmm. I did. I, I grabbed it out of his hand and I was petrified because I knew what he could do with that knife, you know, like he had spelled it out to me all night long, how much he hated me. And, um, I took the knife and I walked to the kitchen knife set and I put it back in the block and he eventually just, he lay down and he went to sleep. And I remember, I don't think I slept at all. I just was petrified of him waking up again. And I just stayed there in that bed and um, didn't know what to do. And I felt so stuck um, and so alone, you know, and so confused. And that next day um, was really also bizarre and concerning because, you know, he woke up kind of calm. Right. And um, I went into that mode. And I think that you, I'm sure, can understand this. Um, where, like, when you've been through something so horrible together and you survive it, it kind of like, it's like only you two went through that thing. Right. A trauma bond. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what it, it, it is and was. And so I was like, okay, things are calm. And let's get coffee was my (laughs) response. And so he said, okay. And so we got in the car and I was driving and I just remember Maya, I just like, now I know what had happened. I disassociated, you know, like I literally did not know where I was driving. I had Mm -hmm. no idea how to get there. And I just, I said, I don't know how to get there. I I don't know where to go. And this coffee shop was like half a block away, you know? Mm -hmm. And I um, pulled over, thank God, and I started bawling and I started saying to him, I want my mom. I want my mom. I want someone to protect. I need someone to protect me. And he looked at me and he said, what, what are you talking about? I'm here to protect you. Hmm. You don't need to be scared of me. And so at that point, you know, I'm thinking, okay, maybe this is like one of those weird psychotic breaks where people don't remember, you know, like that happens. And so I said to him, do you remember, (laughs) you know, and do you remember what happened last night? And he looked at me and he said, yeah. And, um, he said, yeah, I, I do remember. And then he was actually very like tender and comforting in those moments, you know, like he was just, I'm here for you and it's going to be okay. And then we would have this conversation of like what to do from there, you know, like I knew that things were bad and I, I was shaking. I was physically shaking still. And he said to me, he's actually the first person who gave me the words for what happened. He said to me, 
do you consider last night abuse? Hmm. And I, at that point, honestly, my, I did not, I was like, I don't, I don't have any label for this. I don't know what just happened. Right. And he said to me, are you going to get divorced and get a restraining order flatly? And I said, what? Like, I had no concept of those things. I didn't know what he was. I, like he I knew what he was doing, but you didn't. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so that really threw me off. And I, I had, I said, no, absolutely not. Like, I don't, I, I'm just trying to survive today. Like, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't have any labels for what happened. I, but I did know that I needed physical space. And so I said to him, I came up with this harebrained idea, honestly, <laughs> of like, why don't you just fly home to your mom <laughs> for a couple of weeks? And you're, he had a furlough for work with COVID coming up. And I said, why don't you take that two weeks to go home and just like, let's just have space, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, he really was not about that idea. You know, he gave a lot of resistance initially and was like, that's bad for us. It's going to destroy us. But I was very adamant with him. And I was like, I think one of us has to do that. And you have that opportunity to do that. Right. He finally seemed to give in. And so I thought I had it handled, you know, like I was like, okay, I have a plan, <laughs> a two week plan. And, right. um, it's something right. And so, I will also say during that 24 hour period, I don't know why I did this, but thank God I did. I started to document. I had no, like no one telling me to do this. I had no concept of the legal system, Mm -hmm. but something inside of me told me, Sarah, you're going to forget this stuff. And maybe you're going to need to remember, you know, like, and so I had started documenting like just everything that had happened the night before. And then that day when I went into my notes section, of my phone where I was putting it, it was gone. He had, you know, I later realized deleted it from remotely. And Mm -hmm. so, um, when I saw that that day that it was deleted, that sent shockwaves through me of like, Oh my God. Okay. This is really bad. Um, and so there was a brief moment. I mean, I didn't let my guard down completely, you know, like I knew things were bad still. And there was a moment where he said he needed to go to the gas station to get Gatorade for us because we were so dehydrated. And so I said, I ran into the bathroom and I locked the door and I grabbed my work computer this time, not my personal, you know, and I started documenting again, um, everything that had happened. And I sent it to that one friend who I had been reaching out to that week. And I said, please just keep this for me. And so that was a saving grace for me to get out because that night, and this is all the same day after the bad night, um, she read that email and she very smartly, and I would advise people to be smart. If you're trying to help someone in these situations, be smart because she sent a coded message and she just said, Hey, um, I have some really good news for you. Like, I really want to talk to you. Please call me when you can. Mm. And I knew what that meant. I knew that she had read that email, you know, and I knew that she was telling me like, Sarah, this is bad. And, oh, I had also told her in that email that I had a plan. I got this. I'm fine. I'm going to do a two week thing where he's going to fly home. Like I got this. And so, um, I, when I saw her message, I knew that like, 
my plan probably had some flaws in it, you know, (laughs) and I wasn't really safe, but I was in bed with him. What am I going to do? He's calm. He's watching a movie. Like I I got this, you know, and things uh, started deteriorating even that night though, (laughs) with my plan, because he started to say, I don't think I should go. I don't think I, I don't feel good about it, you know? And then in the middle of the night, he woke up and was like, I'm going to go for a walk. Um, and then he would send me messages that he was suicidal and he would send me <laughs> messages of first Corinthians 13 mm-hmm. of like what love is and like how love stays, you know, like no matter what and never gives up. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't think we've gotten into that, but I, I'm a Christian and I was raised in a really religious environment and he knew the power of those words to me. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that night I also learned, I tried to call the suicide hotline for him and dear goodness, I learned that Saturday nights are really <laughs> busy nights for them, Friday mm-hmm. and Saturday night, but I couldn't get through to anyone, but he finally came back from his walk and um, that was still the plan was I was hoping I could get him on a plane that weekend to go. And, um, that next day he kind of was like giving in to the plan. He was like, okay, like if I'm going to do this, I have to go to my, my work office to get some stuff. And I said, okay, I have this zoom call for my job. And so I turned on my zoom call and I started doing my work and he was like, okay, you do that. And I'll go out for a little bit and come back. And this moment was, I believe God honestly helping me get out because the zoom call, like the zoom connection went out completely. Mm. And it was like a lightning moment to me where I feel like I heard God's voice, honestly, of like, Sarah, you, what are you doing? What are you doing? You need to take this time and use it wisely. And it was like, I had this brief window where he was not there, you know? And I took that time to call um, that one friend and I'll never forget like the words she said to me, she said, Sarah, you know, like I read that email of what's been going on and I, I love you and I care for you, but I have to tell you, like, you're destroying your life. Like everything Mm -hmm. in your life is going to be destroyed and you're already being destroyed. You're already being broken down. And, um, how do you think that you're safe right now? You just know what you experienced the night before. How do you think that you're safe? Yeah. And I knew that she was right. I trusted her. Um, I knew she had no, you know, invested interest and just cared about me as a person. And everything flooded me in my mind of what had happened. And I realized in that moment that like, I don't want to live like this. Like I want to live. I, I, I don't want to go through that. What I just went through ever again. Um, I can't go through that ever again. He's going to break me. I was this close to, I feel like being completely mentally broken and physically. Um, there was more stuff that he had threatened, you know, he had threatened my life very much so. And I wanted to live. And so I, I remember saying to her, what do you, what do you want me to do? I'm married to him. I can't just leave. you know." <laughs> and she said to me, I said, I'm stuck. 
Like, and that is, I think a lot of this stuff is you feel really stuck. I felt so stuck. And she just said to me, you are not stuck. You're not stuck. What you need to do physically is take it one step at a time. And literally like right now you leave, you run out of that Mm -hmm. home. And so I, I was, I, I had the physical opportunity and the mental clarity in that moment of like, that's just what I have to do. I don't care about the cost. I don't care about the cost of what this is going to do to my life. I don't know what this means, but I have to leave. And I ran in my pajamas and I got in the car and I drove to, um, you know, the one friend's house that I never made it to before. And, um, from there, I was terrified that he was going to follow me there. Um, or kill himself. And so my focus, you know, and that mindset too, is like really him, honestly, more than me in a lot of ways. And I was worried he would kill himself. Mm -hmm. And I, um, at that point called the police and, um, I focused mainly on his mental health and that he was suicidal and could they please do a wellness check on him, you know? Mm -hmm. And the officer obviously realized there was a lot more going on. Um, and he said to me, okay, yeah, like they, they believed me. They did do that and, and um, you know, ended up taking him to the hospital. But the officer said to me, you know what, why, why don't you come down? <laughs> the, the, the police station is closed because of COVID, which I think is atrocious that they did that. But the police mm-hmm. station was physically closed but you could come to the parking lot and come talk to me. And, um, I have a book and now I know that's like the domestic violence book they have to give you. But he said, I have this book to give you. And if there's more, you can tell me, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I went there and with my friend that I was staying with that day. And I told him like a lot more of what happened uh, the night before, you know, And he just looked at me dead in the eye, this officer, and he said, "Um, I have one question for you. Like, are you going to stay with him? What's your plan? And I looked at him and I was like, am I not supposed to? Like, I, I, this is the mindset that I was in. Um, I, I wasn't ready. I was not really ready to leave. Um, And he just told me very blankly, he was like, I, I see what is going on. And a lot of it, like this guy is really smart. Like he is going to push, keep pushing the boundaries and legally he's going to keep pushing the boundaries and it's going to be very hard to prove and it's going to get worse. I see this every day. You're in the beginning phases. You need to get out. And, um, that really shook me having someone in authority, I think telling me that, um, And then something else I think that helped me get out and and stay out was that um, another person who worked in law enforcement and in particular domestic violence um, personally was connected to a friend of mine and called me and he said to me, I don't really know you, (laughs) but like, I've, I've heard what is some of the details of what's happened. And I just want to be really blunt with you. And he told me, he was like, this right now is your honeymoon period. This is the best your marriage is ever going to be. This is the peak. And yeah. it will only get worse from here. And I tried to minimize the physical stuff. I was like, hey, he did not hit me. He did not punch me. 
<laughs> you know, um, all that happened was like the stuff with the knives, but like, you know, he didn't cut me with the knives, you know, like, um, my wrist hurt, but like, it's better now, you know, like I really tried to minimize that stuff. And he was like, yeah, I know, I know. And then the next time it's going to be, oh, you know, the bruise isn't that bad, you know, like it's going to keep escalating. That is what happens. And, and, you know, now is your opportunity to choose a different path. Mm -hmm. And so that really impacted me. Um, and it was also really messy (laughs) for me because I felt like everything was just like violently ripped open. Like I was crying and tearful and telling people like, we haven't even printed our wedding photos yet. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. like we're newlyweds. Yeah. And it was messy. And I, I couldn't fathom that we would never speak again, that there would be no closure because, you know, the advice that I was being given was like, you have to go no contact. You should get a protection order and all this stuff. And I'm going, what? You Mm know? Um, but on the flip side, I remembered his eyes. Mm -hmm. I remembered that darkness in his eyes. And I had that gut feeling that I finally really started listening to that this darkness in him was very, very, this was very deep stuff, deep seated stuff, this behavior. And there was probably more that I didn't know, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, I just made that decision to, at that point, change how I live my life because I had lived my life like really as a planner. Like I planned everything in my life and I decided, okay, I forget through the plan, you know, (laughs) like plans out the window here. And I am just going to take this one baby step at a time. And my decisions are just going to be preserving my well-being at this point. And, um, I humbled myself. I asked, you know, people that had experience with this stuff and who recognized this behavior, you know, cause I did not, but these people did these people in law enforcement, <laughs> like these people who work with domestic friends, they did understand this exact behavior. and. Um, like even like all that suicidal stuff, you know, I had no idea that that's actually a really common theme and tactic in these situations. I didn't know that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I heeded people's advice that I felt like I could trust and that had my, my well-being in mind and knew more about this than I did. And I kind of took them on that faith that maybe they knew more than I did about this. And I heeded their advice. I went no contact. I chose a path of peace and protection and went to the courts and applied for a protection order. And throughout that process and like in the coming weeks after that, um, a lot more information came out and that helped me um, understand the bigger picture. And part of that was that... um, Like there was, he confessed that he had been electronically like stalking me from day one of our relationship. Like my Google accounts, um, everything I was doing, going, seeing, um, I used Google a lot and, and he had found that as a really easy way to like go and like go through everything. And I'm talking like a decade worth of information. Um, he had. Physically, I also had a lot of paper like journals. He had read every single one of them. <laughs> um, the gaslighting you were mentioning earlier, um, to give you an example of what came out was that 
he confessed after all of this that he had been hiding an alcohol issue as well. And what is gaslighting when I see this now is that from the very get of our relationship, I had kind of expressed like these really like low key concern. Honestly, I was like, I had this bad gut feeling like maybe he's high risk for an alcohol unhealthy relationship with alcohol based on family history and some of his past experiences. And I was really into health. Like I still am. And I was like, you know, like I want a healthy life. I know you want to be healthy. And I'm kind of concerned about this area for you. And he would tell me that I was crazy that I didn't trust him, you know, and that he had no issue. And there was never any, like, he was never drunk where I saw like physical evidence, you know? And, um, there were just, there were a couple of very small incidents where, um, he would gaslight me into thinking I had imagined things that he hadn't drank that alcohol, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, so anyhow, the tension around alcohol had become so like severe in me during our relationship that when we were engaged, I said, I better go to therapy to figure out what my problem is for alcohol in him. Yeah. And I went to therapy for trying to figure out why I was so anxious about it. And then after the fact, come to find out, you know, he was like, you're not crazy. (laughs) Like I I do have a problem that I lied to you about. Um, And I'll never know the impact of that on his, you know, like behavior in our relationship. But Um, more came out, honestly, the biggest revelation for me was that his behavior, this pattern was not new. It was really deeply rooted since he was a teen. Um, and what I found out was, um, you know, all of this, this is something I think is really important when people keep this to themselves and don't share their stories, um, is that having a paper trail does help other people, not just you. And I, um, during this process, I was able to read, um, there was a restraining order from his past partner (laughs) before me. Mm. And I was able to read the public records of the allegations of what happened and led to that order. And Mm. I never talked to her, you know, I didn't feel like that was helpful or, um, you know, like I didn't feel good about that, but I just read the documents and it was heartbreaking. And also really clarifying and gave me perspective because I was reading the same behavior that he had done with me, only it was actually worse with her. They had been together a lot longer and um, a lot more physically um, abusive as well. And my heart just sank, you know, reading that. Um, But I also, it also helped me understand the importance of my documenting things and that I needed to do that. and especially because over the last two years now, like that wasn't the end, you know, and I can't get into all the details really of what's happened because there's still multiple open criminal cases. Mm-hmm. But I will say that during this time period, I have been able to see that this was not <laughs> an isolated incident. Like I've been able to see the depth of this darkness and of this pattern of behavior and that I did the right thing getting out when I did, um, that I did make the right decisions, um, humbling myself and asking for help and heeding those advice because it didn't stop. And, um, yeah, um, as far as, um, you know, where I'm now, um, you know, I've had to navigate the legal system, um, 
which has been really tough. That's like a whole other, I guess, <laughs> concept in itself, as you know. Um, but I am now in a space where I am, I've gone through a lot of healing and I've um, kind of started to integrate like who I was before all of this and who I am now, which has been really cool because there's that break, right? Like there's that break before and the after. And um, that's been really cool though, to, to start to feel like I am integrating. I've been, I've done a lot of therapy, you know, I feel like for me, I had a lot of somatic effects in the aftermath, like a lot of physical, like you were saying, the aching, like at this point afterwards, like the pain, like my whole body would hurt so much. Um, you know, the, the sleepless nights, the flashbacks, like a lot of the physical symptoms of trauma, you know, um, I really dealt with. And so I'm very grateful for finding really, um, a lot of healing and like somatic therapy and EMDR and nature and, um, rebuilding my life. Um, my life is really simple these days. Um, very peaceful. And, um, I focus on what matters and I cherish just the people around me and spending time with them. And, um, I've worked really hard to make myself feel safer. Um, practically I changed everything in my life, turned it upside down and, um, you know, um, it's had a lot of impacts on my life, you know, professionally, personally, all of that. But, um, I've say the course and, um, the legal stuff for me, um, has been really time consuming. It can be like a full-time job. I feel like sometimes of like, of documenting and reporting and continuing to ask the courts for help. And, um, I've been able to stay the course with that. I really think because I have had a lot of tremendous support from people in my life, my family and friends, um, which I'm really grateful for, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, because here's the other thing, like, I feel like it's been important for me to speak up for myself through all of this, to say like, this is not okay when boundaries have continued to be crossed and um, leave that paper trail for others. And also um, I, I think sometimes people think that it's just them, you know, like this just affects me. It's my decision, but that's not true. Like what this stuff does impacts other people and has ripple effects, you know, on other people and more people can be harmed. And, um, that's been the case in my situation. You know, I've seen other people get harmed through this and, um, that has been really eye-opening, um, the importance of calling this out and of standing up and of doing what we can to, um, to try to have some kind of accountability. Um, Sarah, thank yeah. you so much for coming on today and just like sharing your story. Um, yeah, it's powerful. It's um, mind bending at times, I think listening to, um, but I know that um, there's just a purpose and a reason behind each, each person who comes on and shares them. There's only 12 slots. And there's a lot of stories and, um, I felt really strongly that you were supposed to be on this season. And the word that I really felt for this season is like just the word triumph. Um, I think that 
there's just a lot of women who are, um, and I know that abuse doesn't always only target women, but this, this season so far, um, is only going to be women. And, um, uh, I just feel like a lot of these women are, um, definitely just powerhouses, um, and very triumphant, um, their victories, the word triumph just keeps coming to mind and hearing your story and, and sitting with you today. Um, it's just incredible, like where you're at now and, um, that you're out and just that you're able to identify and like see, um, everything for what it was and are, is you're still learning obviously and healing and growing, but, um, that's always a process that each of us are all going to be going through. Um, but I'm really grateful that you came on today. And I know that a lot of people will um, be moved and touched by your story. And so thank you for being vulnerable today and, and be, being willing to come on and, and, you know, <laughs> un, un, uh, sort of, I can't even find my words, but being able to kind of like take that trauma that, you know, sometimes we don't like to think about obviously, and being willing to come forward and talk about it again. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, been really good talking with you and and sharing and kind of like being able to look back at it, you know, I think is powerful of like, yes, that happened. And here I am now. And um, I really appreciate what you're doing um, with the podcast. I think that we can all just continue to learn and grow from each other through this and keep on going, keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. All right, guys, tune in next Thursday for episode three, and we will see you then. All right. Thanks, Maya. Yeah, thanks, Sarah. Bye.